know why God allows me to do it, but he does. And so um, I want to just officially welcome everyone here today, this morning. We um, have decided to break, uh, or take a break, I should say, with our normal um, series that we've been doing, I think now for four weeks, called The Controversial Christ. Um, we have a very uh, special person, although no stranger to this community, Mr. Will Eifler. If you would welcome with me to the microphone, yes, Mr. Sir Will Eifler. So, um, you know, we just invited Will to kind of share with uh, what's in his heart and what the Lord's speaking to him. So you're going to get it fresh uh, from his heart this morning. And so why don't we pray for ourselves this morning, shall we? Um, Father, we thank you for the man of God. We thank you for the word of God. But Lord, we pray for our ears. We pray that they would be open. Our hearts would be softened to receive from your messenger today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. All right. Wow. Well, I, uh, I kind of am already almost not quite making my goal of making it through a message without <laughs> tearing up, which seems to happen every single time. I'm already just a morning like this with worship and to hear you guys sing. Can I just say, there's not, not every church sings like you guys do. It's just... Uh, the, the entirety of what I want to talk about today is how special this is. Sometimes, you know, you get, you lose sight of just how special it is. It's been, there's a lot of parts that are, you know, related to it that you, you hopefully we'll be able to get to if I don't take too long. But the main thing about it is, it's just, we take it. We take so much for granted. It's, this is so special. And I hope I can convey to you today why it's so special. I want to turn to Matthew 16, verse 13. I'm going to try to do it with the paperback here, if I can make that work. The leather. Um, how many of you guys know Peter? Obviously not personally, but 2,000 years ago, Peter. Anybody? Raise your hands. Who, who relates to Peter? Who knows of Peter? I feel like I relate to Peter more every day. <laughs> it's amazing. I don't relate to Peter less. I'm not relating more to post-filling of the Holy Spirit of Peter. Sometimes I'm relating more to pre-filling of the Holy Spirit Peter foot in the mouth, um, head down, you know, like, you, you just never know how, what way you're going to not measure up next. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. It's, it's like a whole, it's like, you know, pick your own adventure, and you're the one picking the adventure. It's amazing how it, it works. Thank God for His grace. Amen? Thank God. You know, we're going to read a verse here, spoiler alert, you know, Jesus kind of he says such special things to Peter, and, and, and he also says very difficult things to Peter. You know, God has never been afraid of broken people. He's never been afraid of working with people that need him. In fact, that's the entire point. Let's get into verse 13. When Jesus came to the region, region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? I think that's very fitting. It wasn't necessarily very, I wasn't trying to dovetail too much off of this series, but it really does dovetail. Who do you say that I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Always the first to speak out, and this time it worked. <laughs> Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you, 
that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, say upon this rock, I will build my church. Say it with me. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What a promise. Now, there's a few things that happen here, and obviously a big portion of the church believes that Jesus was made the rock of the church. I think it's very apparent that he wasn't necessarily, although God used him mightily. God gives him a name change and says upon this rock, what is this rock? Who you say that I am. Who I really am. That I'm the son of God. That's the rock. That's the bedrock of everything that we're doing. When he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Such a powerful promise. You know, I think there's a lot about the church. Um, there's a lot about our generation. It's very interesting. Most, most of us in this room are pretty much somewhere around my age bracket. Um, somewhere between 20 and 35 is the majority of the people sitting here today. Um, just due to the demographic that we're here with. And our generation is questioning a lot of things. Our, you know, it's, what, hap- what happens when structure fails you? What happens when you can't trust the support around you? What happens when a marriage of your parents fails? That's the story of a great majority of our generation. You start to question everything. Right? That's the natural thing. That's the most natural thing that could happen. You, you feel unstable. You question everything. And one of the things that our generation is currently deconstructing is the church. How, okay, am I, am I, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Does anybody resonate with this? You know, there's, it's not just a little bit of chatter. It seems like almost every person I talk to has, this, it's not just themselves that have failed and said, nah, I can't do the Jesus thing. They're looking at the church and saying, there's so many ways the church has failed. And, and really, honestly, it actually does fall into a generational divide where the failures of our parents have been imputed onto the church. But it's creating chaos, absolute chaos. We're a rudderless generation trying to figure things out on our own. In the process, we no longer see the church as necessary or beautiful. We now see it as something to put up with, to dress up, to make palatable, if we engage with it at all. It's interesting how Peter is the one Christ is speaking to when he says this statement about the church. I don't think it's a mistake at all. It's almost like he puts Peter as the picture of the church. You know? There's so many things I want to jump, in, jump ahead to, but there, God redeems that guy. Weakness gets turned into strength in the hand of the Almighty, but it's not because of his own merit. It's not, be, it's not because the church is perfect that she's going to be a voice. I want to go to Acts 2. Acts 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost... All the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. At this time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise... Everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages speaking, being spoken by the believers. 
jump to verse 41. As you guys know, Peter steps up. Something happens. Something remarkable happens. And he galvanizes the very first church with this message. God comes upon him and his weakness gets turned into strength. The guy who denied Christ. The guy who could not stand up. The guy who constantly put his foot in the mouth. Suddenly is filled with boldness. Suddenly, and people are hearing it in their own languages. Totally and entirely supernatural. Verse 41. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. Verse 42. All the believers, say all the believers, believers. devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers, say all the believers, believers. met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, And shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. That all the believers thing that I had to repeat. We, today, we believe that just because somebody has twisted or changed the face of the church means that no longer is a form relevant. Let me just tell you something. Did Jesus, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus ever dictate a form. He never did. The form happens naturally. The form happened out of just this, this abundance of joy, this abundance of sharing, this, this awe of God. What's the first instinct that this first template of believers had? It's to meet together in one place. It's to share. It's to take the Lord's Supper. The, we're questioning things today that we don't need to question. What we really need to question is are we bought into what God has already started? Are we actually, do we actually believe what God's doing? See, there's a lot of times that we question things and that, we, what's on the surface? Have you ever had somebody who, they're, they're getting at, they're, they're, they're chipping away at one thing, but it's really a veneer. It's really a shield against a whole different issue. It's a much deeper issue that's going on, really. And our criticism of the church under that surface is a much deeper issue. So who do you say that I am? Do you really, do you really believe Christ? Is he really who he says he is to you? Are you really going to follow him? You see, I think it's very clear that transformed believers become gathering believers. They become community believers. They become involved believers. If I was the devil, Which is a great way to start anything. I got your attention. That was easy. Um, but, I mean, it's great, great to uh, think that way sometimes. Um, just like, what would he do? If I was the devil and I wanted to stop the one thing that Christ put on the earth to change it, and I couldn't do it through persecution, which he can't. It actually just makes the church stronger. And he's, he's learned that lesson for the most part, it doesn't seem to be working at times, but it's just, you know, there's still persecution. But in the West, especially, the devil has a whole different playground. If I was the devil, <laughs> if I was love with this, um, I would discredit, I would get under your skin, I would get inside your head. You ever seen one of those movies where 
you know, the main character's trust is won by an, a nemesis. You know what I'm talking about? And he just subverts and he, and he just twists the thinking a little bit until he's totally thrown them off of their confidence of what they're supposed to do. What he wants to do is change your mind. He's more interested in what you think about the church. He's more interested in what you think about relating to God. If he can get that, if he can twist that, if he can turn it into an individualistic pursuit, then he's won. It kind of reminds me of Nehemiah. Um, we won't turn there, but you have this, this enemy of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. He has a, a divine call from God. And this enemy just chips away time and time again after what they're doing, ridicules it, says it's stupid. And they don't listen, thank God. And Jerusalem gets rebuilt. And worship gets reinstated. And prayer gets reinstated. Amazing things. They, they repent as a nation. I often think, how does a city get changed? I don't know if you do. But that's why God called me here. And it desperately needs changing. How many of you, 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 most of us in this room, raise your hand if you know the vision of what we're doing here at Hilltop and at J-Hop. For those of you who don't, I encourage you to learn it. I encourage you to find out where God has placed you. See, there's, there's something powerful God wants to do here, but I think a lot of us, and there's actually, I was, I was reading an article recently um, it was, in, it was in Boston Magazine. It was not really written by Christians at all, but it was very, very interesting, very interesting reminder and insight into really what happened in the church. How many of you guys know what happened in the Catholic Church? About nearly 20 years ago now. So you, a few of you. This area has very recently gone, a, gone through a seismic shift spiritually. This used to be, yes, there's intellectualism, yes, there's humanism, but the church was actually st still fairly prominent in this area. And I know like most of us in this room, we don't necessarily identify as Catholic. We're, we're in a Protestant church. But the Catholic church and the Protestant church still are the church. And it, it's, not, it's not separate, especially not in the world's eyes. And what happened, the, the failures of the Catholic Church around the early 2000s were so catastrophic. So many people left the church. So many people lost their faith. We're building a church in a very recently post-church era. That's, I guess, my main point here. This entire city, it's as if, imagine if a nuclear bomb went off. And then you had to rebuild from the rubble, and you had people who were living underground <laughs> trying to stay away from... Like, that is almost an accurate depiction spiritually of what the picture really is. God is doing amazing things in this city. I, I would say in the past 10 years, we've seen so much change happen. We've seen so many new churches, thriving churches, start to be planted. And churches that were struggling start to not struggle. It's, it, God is moving. But there is something, so, it's so important that we have to recognize that God didn't bring you into a neutral zone. I just want to challenge you. You may not be aware that God may have brought you in unknowing to here. I know a lot of us like to think that everything is perfectly mapped out and we're going to know everything God calls us to. and We've got a perfect plan for our lives. You've got the career mapped out. You've got your school plan. The whole thing's planned out. And you know how to get there. Some of you may feel called to ministry. You already have the, the place in your head. You may have something that God spoke to you. And if you have that, then hold on to it. But you might not know why God brought you here ultimately. But by coming here... You stepped onto a war zone. You stepped into a battleground spiritually. 
The vision of Hilltop is that this is the place where the, the nations of the earth send their best and brightest, and that God is going to raise up another student volunteer missions movement out of this city to the ends of the earth. You could be part of that. But you're not, in a, you're not in a neutral zone. There's no coasting. There's no coasting when it comes to the spiritual war that's taking place. A lot of you may know, a lot, this is sobering stuff. A lot of students lose their faith, okay, in the first or second year of college. It's, it's a great majority, actually. For the few that have held on to it through their teenage years, there's a serious war. The enemy has his sights on you, whether you know it or not. And there is an extremely vital, huge call over this region that God may be calling you into. We, we have this really terrible habit, I think, of just being aware of what's around us, just what's, what's in front of us. We, we form our picture of what God is doing of this spiritual landscape around us just based off of what we see. It's so interesting. We're consuming social media, right? And it's just simply our interests and the things that are put in front of us refed to us over and over. We think that it's something that we're finding on our own and that we, you know, came up with that we like. And it's just more of the same. It's, we, we're forming, we form mental images of what our lives should look like based off of what we see. But when's the last time that you asked God, what am I doing here beyond just getting through my degree? What if God, and this is pretty offensive, but what if God took your life for a detour? What if God has a whole different plan than you even originally had? Would you be willing to sign up for that? I think the most interesting thing is this idea of individualism. And I, I realize this is not necessarily a, a, a happy, you know, part of the message here. I realize that this is kind of sober, but we're, our generation, we think that we're individuals. We think that we, <laughs> we think that we are just making our own choices, that we make ourselves. And the reality is, you are the sum of who's around you. You are the sum of your community. You have a community, whether or not you know it. The question is, what are you part of? What are you building? Are you going to be used by God to build something that's eternal? Or are you going to be just building community that's just haphazard and just what is put in front of you? There's such a purpose that God has over community. There's such a purpose that the church has. There's no other institution that's going to reach the lost. I know we're questioning, why doesn't the church do more? But if the church only ever does one thing, if we only ever do one thing that's preach the gospel, we've done our job. The fact is we're facing a world that's going to hell. And that's not popular. We're facing a world that's decaying right in front of us. And the number one priority that we have is to preach Jesus. What do we say that he is? Do we really believe those words? Do we really believe what he says about himself? Are we willing to go preach it to the world? Or are we going to sit back and question and think someone else is going to do it for us? Let me just tell you, it's, no one else is going to do it for you. The vast majority, something in the high 90% of people will come to faith through a friend. How many of you know that? A few of you do. It's not going to be through a televangelist, statistically. It's not going to be through a Bible sitting on a shelf. Although that happens. It's like lightning striking in comparison to how people come to faith. 
God wants to use you to build the church, I guess is what I'm saying. He wants to do it here. He wants to do it where he's going to send you. But I tell you, there's a need. There's a great need. If you were able to get outside of your social bubble and see the need around you, see what's really going on, see how people's lives really are decaying, you say, God, what, is, what do we do? What, how, do we, how do we reach that need? The avenue is the church. Because a community is what creates identity. A community is what creates perception of reality. Your perception of reality comes from those around you. And if you're going to reach the lost, you have to build community. I want to go back to Peter, Luke 22. Verse 31. Jesus is predicting Simon Peter um, denying him, as we all know he does. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. It might sound super spiritual to some of you. You might not even have a theology that really wraps around a cosmic war between light and darkness, between God and the devil. Your theology might sum up in God is love, and that's all that exists. But there's more going on. There's more at work trying to pull your life away than just God is love, everything is great. There's an enemy who's after you. There's an enemy who's after those who you love. He wants to sift you like wheat. He's looking for your weak spots. How many of you know weak spots in your life? How many of you know that all you got to do is reach in and press that button and something will happen? All you got to do is tweak that knob and something will shift. Something will change. You can either be a victim or you can be an overcomer. If you let the Christian life happen to you, you will be a victim. And the enemy is going to pick you out and he's going to pick on those weaknesses until you're entirely ineffective, until you're so focused and caught up in your existence there's no longer anything else that can take your attention. There's no longer anything else that could eclipse that because you're too preoccupied with your own struggle. You're too preoccupied with what the devil is trying to pull on in your life and you can't seem to break free. But God has a bigger plan. God wasn't afraid to use somebody weak. God wasn't afraid to use Peter. I'll tell you what you really need is to wait and let the power of God from on high come upon you. Prayer and then boldness. Turn again. Strengthen your brethren when you've you've repented. God wants to use, there's, there's a lot of us in this room that feel so inadequate, so left out. And some of us even feel I know what that call is. I know what God called me to do. I have an inkling of what God called me to do, but I'm not, I'm disqualified. I can't do it. 
if you, there's, some, there's something remarkable that happens when you shift from being a victim to realizing you can be an overcomer. If you can just say, no, it's not, there's not just me in this fight. There is an enemy that's trying to pick on these weaknesses. And I don't just have to think it's all me all the time. How many of you guys have thoughts that just hit your mind and are just crazy? You know, just crazy thoughts. Come on, we can be honest in here, right? Just stuff that just like, where in the world did that come from? It's, it, there is something else besides you trying to pull at your attention, trying to pull at your psyche, trying to pull at your confidence. God wants to use you. If I could show you, and I wish I could, I don't know if, I, I don't, it's only by God's grace that you could see. But if I could show you the immense opportunity that there is, just even on a practical level, just here in Boston, there is such a need. I, 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 have, to, I have to say, you know, even the mission of our church, we're a transient church. A lot of us here are only here for a very short season. And I, was, I have to say that we are absolutely thrilled about that because it means that God has allowed us to invest in person after person after person after person. This church has seen thousands come through the door and they've not left for bad reasons. They've moved on because that's, God's taken them somewhere in life. There's a, there's a tremendous ministry opportunity here in Boston. There's people that are coming here that will only be here for two years. You don't have their whole life to reach them. There are students from other countries that have come here that have never heard the gospel and they never will hear a representation of the gospel unless you get out there and you tell it to them. They will never hear a representation of the gospel unless you get outside of your own struggle and you reach out to your dorm mate. You reach out to your coworker. You get outside of your own, the cloud that rests over your head. Maybe it's not. That you're waiting for some sort of breakthrough. Maybe the breakthrough comes in going. Maybe the breakthrough comes, maybe you get filled up as you obey God. I'll tell you what, there have been times that I feel so disqualified, so unable to strongly represent, and I just think someone else should represent God. Someone else should be doing this. When I've gone out and do, done outreach, I just feel like every microscope in heaven is on me sometimes. I just feel like, oh my word, I better not screw this up. I really need to be prayed up. I really got to be full of the Holy Spirit. And I don't. I don't feel whole, full of the Holy Spirit. We've gone out at 2 a.m. I've so missed this outreach. I wish, I'm kind of thinking of starting it back up. I don't know how that's going to happen. I, oh, I don't know. Let's talk with Amy about it. I don't know. We'll figure it out somewhere, somehow. But we, we had this outreach, okay? We just got this idea, like, okay, look. Have anybody ever tried to have a theological conversation with somebody like, who's in the schools here? You ever tried to talk about God? It's very difficult. Um, but uh, you get them a little drunk. Well, you don't get them drunk. But if they're a little bit drunk, that's not, that's not the plan. That's not the strategy. Um, but if, if, they're already, if they're already kind of a little bit buzzed, things go a lot better. It's amazing. I highly recommend it. We went out at last call after, um, after 2 a.m., not before. Uh, and, they, you know, we just had the idea. I read this book called Jesus Burgers. And uh, maybe one of the most godless cities, godless college towns, absolute... Um, it's absolute just craziness. Like, you imagine, like, college, like, lawlessness on steroids. It was this entire town. It's, uh, I think, off of Santa Barbara or something in California. And uh, they just started by giving out burgers. They just, they had, they started this little house church. And they said, we're just going to do community. We'll let it happen naturally. We're going to let this take its own form. And they just started flipping burgers. And giving them away and having a cookout. Students started getting saved by the droves. They just came and they just asked, why? Why are you doing this? So I thought, why not do it here? So we just got out there with pizza over at the Middle East, not far from here. And we did this outreach for like a year. 
Uh, and we had an amazing team of people. George and Sarah were one of them. Many others uh, helped us out with it. I just, I'll never, my entire life, I'll never forget that first night, just going out there. And we had this pizza box, and I, I think I blew like 150 bucks on pizza and water. And we're just out there with cases of water, and we're out there with the pizza. And we open the box for the first time as they're coming out of the, out of the club. And, and they just look at it. And they just looked, and they just, the most bewildered look. And they just got really serious all of a sudden. And they, they just said, why? Why? Why are you doing this? And I wanted to say, because you're drunk, and we need to get you sober so you can get home safe. But um, that's part of it. You know, here's, have some water. <laughs> but I I'd felt led when we were going out, like, that we weren't supposed to really say anything. We weren't supposed to say Jesus loves you, gospel in a 30-second quick little bit. Okay, you got it. Like, he just said, wait. And it was hard. Well, I just didn't say anything. I just said, just, we love you. That's why we're out here. And that wasn't good enough. And they would just, and this happened every single time we went out, over and over. They would just demand, why? <laughs> why are you doing this? Why are you out here? And I have to say, I had conversations, all of us had conversations, prayer opportunities open up with the most hardened intellectual people. I'm talking professors of like really, really heady things at MIT, you know, like astrophysics and computer science and these guys who are designing robots and just don't want to, they, they, would, they would absolutely not even give you the time of day normally, and these conversations open up, and they just start opening up, and they start the conversation without us ever saying why we're there. Sometimes at the beginning of the night, when we haven't said anything about being a Christian, they just come up, and they just start, yo, I got to talk about God, and it's amazing what God will do when you just take the simple thing that's in front of you, and you just do it. And I have to say, the fruit's in God's hand. I wish I could say that I personally led somebody to Christ there were a number of really, uh, a number of young men I remember following up with who were really running from God, and I just trust God that He's still running after them. It's not up to me. I delivered the message. I, uh, God gave me, it gave all of us open doors to say things. But I guess I share that story just to say there's a lot of ways that God wants to use your life. There's a lot of ways that God wants to invite people into community. It is ridiculous. I'll say one thing that is good to question. It is ridiculous for us to just sit here. It is ridiculous for us to just come week after week. And I'll tell you what's especially ridiculous. is for us to be so caught up and preoccupied with the things that are bothering us, with our busyness, with our struggle, that we can't reach out and pull people in to community. Jesus didn't promise to build a paraministry. Jesus didn't promise to build a television ministry. He didn't promise to build a mail, you know, mail-in ministry. I don't even know if those exist anymore. Um, he didn't promise to build a social media ministry. He promised to build a church, a vibrant group of people that love each other in a way the world has never seen. I'll tell you this, you don't find love like this anywhere else. You don't find lay down your life kind of love anywhere else in the world. There's a lot, there's a lot of things that try to copy it. But this is where people come and see Jesus this is where people come and see who he is. And it is crazy for us to just stay here and never bring them in. It's crazy for us to pick apart the church and criticize it and do nothing about it. God is calling many of us in this room to build the church. You might not be comfortable with that. I have to say, most people who become pastors don't want to be pastors. 
but God gets them. <laughs> most, people, <laughs> most people who go into ministry don't necessarily sign up for it right away at the beginning. You might not know where God's taking you. I'll tell you this, though. Your life is short. God wants to do something with it beyond just make money. If that's your calling, then that's, he's going to do it. He's going to use you that way. And you, if you've heard that from him, then that's your thing. But your life is, is a lot more than just money. Your life is a lot more than just a career. It's, not, it's a lot more than just making a mark, although that's good, and making a dent in a profession, in a field, in an industry. The fact that you're sitting here today is testament, I am convinced of it, is testament that God has invited you into something so very special. I firmly believe that decades from now, we will be reading books and we will look back on this church. Not because Hilltop did something. I believe we'll be reading about all the churches in Boston, actually. about a remnant of people so dedicated, so devoted, they couldn't be scared off by the status quo. They couldn't be scared off by intellectualism. They couldn't be silenced because their faith was so loud. And God used them to write a new story. Not one of a failing church that can't even keep it together morally and makes egregious mistakes. I love the Catholic church. I pray for the Catholic Church. I think God is using the Catholic Church, but I think that there's so much that's a, sadly, it's a, that, that is a cautionary tale. And sometimes God brings things back down. And it's the Protestant Church just, just the same. Everyone, every one of us in this room knows of excesses and failures after failure. God's raising up a church beyond that, guys. It's not just going to be failures we read about. There is a church left over. There is a remnant left over. And you're going to read about it. Your children are going to read about it. About how God transformed a city. Started a missions movement. That like wildfire built until one day. Students were getting saved. By the thousands and going to the mission field. Students were going back to their home countries, not knowing they came here to get saved, not knowing they came here to get set on fire for the gospel, become missionaries, become pastors. They had a different plan for their lives. But those students went. And they started a fire that brought in the second coming of Christ. One day, that's the story that you'll read. I'm a filmmaker, sort of. And I think God's the best filmmaker. I believe one day you'll be watching that movie. I believe you'll be watching all the facets of it. And I wonder, I wonder if you'll be watching the part where you got involved. I wonder if you'll be watching the part where he weaved a story of brokenness and failure into something that could change the world, into something that could ignite other people's lives. See, the people around you aren't looking for somebody perfect, although they constantly pick that apart. That's not what they're looking for. They're looking for something real. They're looking for somebody who's bigger than their failures, because of Christ, who can get beyond weakness because Christ got them there. Not because they picked themselves up by their bootstraps, because they were perfectly mentally sound. (laughs) Praise God for therapy. Praise God for all of the different ways that we get help. You don't have to be perfect. But I wonder if you'll be watching that part of that movie that will involve your life 
where you'll see yourself making a decision to say, you know what, God? I guess I haven't been listening, but I want to listen. I haven't been asking you, but I want to ask you. I want to know what you want to do with me. I had, I had really no intention of this being some sort of like call to missions or something. It's not exactly what I'm trying to do. What I do want to get across today is a picture of a church that's victorious. You see, I came here because I had dreams about that church. And I, I didn't really know about the whole crisis of the Catholic church. Um, but I never, I, I, I'll never forget this one dream I had. I, I kind of, you know, I lived in New Hampshire, and I was like, God, is this what you're calling me to do? Are you calling me to come down and be part of the house of prayer and do this whole thing? And one of the many confirmations he gave me was this, this dream. I saw Boston, and it was a wasteland. It was like, it was like overgrown. And there was this abandoned army camp military camp there and we were bringing in we, we were flying in and we brought this generator I knew it represented the Holy Spirit and uh, just like for, with no explanation people started coming from far and wide to help people coming in every mode of transportation running in biking in some businessmen flew in on jets and restarted what once was. You see, this used to be a center of revival. People like Jonathan Edwards, Charles Finney, saw not a few people saved. Hundreds of thousands of people came to faith because of the moving of the Holy Spirit at once in cities like this, and especially in this area. God wants to redig the wells of revival here in Boston. He wants to restart something that will go to the ends of the earth. You know, I just, I just pray that we recognize the opportunity. I strongly believe that if, if more people knew about the incredible impact that serving God here will ultimately have, though it's hard, we're digging. You have to understand, you know, sometimes it might feel hard spiritually it's, uh, what a surprise. What a surprise. You were in one of the spirit, you actually, I think it's listed as the number one spiritually darkest place in the U.S. as a city. This is not an easy place to be a Christian. It's not a surprise that it's hard. I don't know where I was going with that. Um, I just wanted to take some time and just pray for a second and just let God speak to us. I know I've said a lot and I've cried a lot and I get very emotional. I've, I gotta say, I love the church. I've seen all kinds. I've seen all, I've seen all the failures. I've seen them all, I, uh, or most of them. But I've seen a vision of a church that's not a failure at all. That God raises up as a different kind of witness, a peculiar people. I, oh, I remember where I was going with it. I believe that if people knew the opportunity here to make... See, everybody wants to make a name for themselves. I promise I'll close with this. Our generation, so many of us, we just want to... How do I... You know, if you're a musician, how do I go ride the, the coattails of Bethel? How do I go figure out how to get my name out there? If you're a speaker, like, okay, how do I figure this out? How do I get, you know, to be something that, someone that influences many? Who cares? Who cares? I want to do what God wants me to do. I don't care about the numbers. I'll tell you what. Start an Instagram account. Post some pretty pictures. Maybe gain a few th a thousand followers and feel good about yourself because those are people that are following you. Who cares about that? It's not about numbers. What if by, you know, Jesus had 12 people he ministered to and then he raised up and he trained and those people changed the world. What if you just really dug in here instead of getting so distracted? 
If people knew the opportunity for missions here, this place would be flooded with workers. But God is just restarting the work. It will happen. There will be people that flood this city, starting new ministries, starting new churches. It's already happening. And God's going to start the thing that he showed us. It's not a lie. It's not an illusion. I promise you, if it were, we would be gone by now because we've been through it all. (laughs) We've literally been through it all. God is doing something so special, so unique here. Let's pray. Father, I ask that we wouldn't be blind. Lord, I ask that we wouldn't just seek our own ambition, but that we would truly ask, what do you want us to do, even if for the rest of our lives it looks inglorious? If for the rest of our lives it doesn't look like it mattered? But if the, if the digging and the hard work that we did in these difficult times here in Boston led to a great revival beyond our lifetime, God, would we, would we be willing? Would we say yes? God, would we lay down the idols of success, the idols of the American dream? Help us, God. It's so hard. God, I get distracted constantly. But God, I trust you. I trust you that you're bigger than my distraction. I trust you that you're bigger than my weakness. I trust you that you're bigger than the enemy. I trust you that you're bigger than a difficult city, God. I trust you you're much bigger. And Lord, I trust you use people like us to change history. I trust that you use people who are weak to pull people into something as real because they see us getting changed. They see us getting saved more and more. And they want something to do with it. God, I thank you that this questioning of our generation will come to an end. And it will come to an end because of people that signed up and they said yes. And they started to build a church. Not Hilltop, but the church. That's a witness that can't be ignored in a dark and dismal place spiritually. God, I ask that you would give us vision. More than anything, God, I I even ask that you would open our eyes spiritually. I ask over every person in this room, myself included, open our eyes to the battle. Open our eyes to the promise. Open our eyes to the vision. God, I ask that we wouldn't stay blind anymore. We wouldn't stay unaware of what you're doing. But that we would see with open eyes, the immense plan that you have. God, I thank you that you're an overcoming, powerful, redeeming God. Lord, I ask, use our lives. Use us however you see fit. I ask that you'd find a yes. Here this morning, God, I ask that you'd find a yes in our hearts. feel as though as Will was preaching that um, God wants us to see the opportunity that's actually here in this city rather than being dramatic about the darkness and the hardness of this city. I think God wants to open our eyes to the great potential of a harvest of souls coming into the kingdom of God. And, um, you know, it's, it's easy to, you know, lean to the negative and always see the negative and especially when you're living in a city that's, you know, is, is spiritually dark. But it's another thing when God opens your eyes, right, to the potential. And any person who's actually doing something for the kingdom of God always had a moment where they were uh, taken by the darkness of maybe their city or their church or, or their block or their neighborhood or their family. But yet they persevered. You know, I, I'm wondering where the persevering people of God are these days. Ultimately, our life isn't in danger for meeting here today, is it? Do you feel in danger because you came to church? No. There's a greater danger, though, that's lurking out there. And it's called eyes that can't see, 
hearts that can't feel the missional opportunity that the Lord has given us. Now, not everybody's going to feel this call, but there will be some. And for some of you here, I'm sure this feels very familiar and kind of like, oh, there they go again, their pro-church message. Hey, listen, we are pro-church because we see Jesus as the Christ who was very much and still is very much for his church. No, it isn't pretty. Yes, it has places where it needs to improve. But Jesus, I trust this, Jesus is the builder. Therefore, I'm, I'm fine. I'm not taken by the hypocrisy in the church, the darkness in the hour we live, and the darkness in the church, because we have a good builder. And friends, let me just submit this to you. Every time you throw a stone of accusation against the church, you are throwing it against the builder, the master architect of the church. His name is Jesus. So yes, we are and and will forever be pro-church through and through. It's not because we're like, oh, we just love the institution. It's just so great. No, we love Jesus and we see Christ as very much. It's the only kind of thing that he committed himself to doing in his resurrected, seated at the right hand of the Father ministry is what? Building the church. That's what Will read to us today. He's doing it now, even in the darkness, even in the uncertainty, even in the ugliness of failures, moral failures, financial failures, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Jesus is building his church. I'm wondering how many are going to be part of God's story. Will you have your, I thought it was so powerful. My, my heart just softened. I said, God, I want to have my place in the film. I want to have my spot in the movie. And I believe there's others here that have that same cry. So what we want to do is we want to offer an opportunity just to respond to this message. You know, maybe God pulled at your heart today. And maybe you have some decisions to pray about and consider that just maybe God is calling you to marry the city, to commit yourself, your efforts, your energies to the, to the gospel and, and its advancement in this city. Maybe, just by chance, maybe there's some here today that feel that pull. We just want to offer an opportunity to respond. Um, We don't want to make it dramatic. Ultimately, we just want to have an altar call where we can say, yes, Lord. Not necessarily, yes, I'm going to be part of Hilltop Church. Not necessarily, I'm going to move into Cambridge and just, you know, but just say, Lord, I will go where you send me. If that is, you know, somewhere in the Middle East, I'll go. If that's here in Cambridge, I'll stay. I'll lay roots. I'll be part of something that advances your kingdom here on earth. So if that's you, we just want to give you an opportunity. We're not going to hype this up. I know that I have a yes, a burning yes inside of my heart. And I want to re-sign up, so to speak, this morning and recommit myself to that yes. So if you're here and you felt that pull upon your heart, I want to just invite you to stand. Maybe we can have Asaph come up and just give us some keys. And we're just going to trust the Lord with this. Now, um, for those who may get bored and be like, what are these people doing? Like, don't get too scared. Like, we're just responding to the Lord, okay? We're just having a time of reflection and prayer, saying, Lord, where am I at this? Are you calling me to this city? Um, But we will just officially um, end the service. You guys are welcome to leave. Um, Again, if you're here for the first time and you want to get more information about the church, you want to plug into this community, we want to invite you to the info center. But for those who are responding right now, we're just going to do some business. And we invite you all to be part of this. Come on, we're not just here playing church. I'm not just here to just have this nice little congregation where we just meet Sunday after Sunday, do a couple good songs, preach a decent message, and just go out the doors. I want, I want to feel something. <laughs> what do I mean by that? I want my heart softened. And if it's for today, just a simple response saying, Lord, I want to re-sign up and have a yes 
to the places that you call me. And so be it. And I feel the Lord cast that net this morning. Get your eyes off me. Get your eyes on Jesus. I'm not doing theater here. I'm simply like you, asking the Lord to direct my ways. Father, help us to fall in love with the will of God for our lives. And if it's Boston, then so be it, Jesus. Let's just take a moment and pray. Recommit yourself if you have to. Ask for the Lord to give you back that yes in your heart. That you would go where he leads. And that you wouldn't just, you know, give your life to comforts and pleasures of this world and excess and materialism. But that you would actually live missionally, focused on the call of God and the will of God for your life. Come on, let's pray together. God, I just, I pray right now for those of us that have been distracted. God, I pray for right now for those of us who've gotten so pulled off by one thing or another. God, pull our hearts back in. We ask you, Lord, Lord, by your grace, by your great compassion, Lord, pull our hearts back in. God, we're so easily distracted. Lord, I just even pray right now, Lord, for the people who've heard your voice in the past. And maybe it was just the beginning of something you wanted to say. And they just stopped listening. Maybe they lost interest. Maybe they ran. Whatever the case may be, Lord, I ask, speak again. Lord, I ask you, speak again. Lord, pull us back from our own deception. Pull us back. Lord, we could run our whole lives running after the American dream. We can run our whole lives chasing happiness, never finding it. Just 80 short years of futility. Lord, I ask for something better. I ask that we wouldn't just keep running. Open our ears, Lord, to hear your voice again. God, I ask you, Lord, even those who heard you before, Lord, I ask that you would pick up right now where you left off. I ask that you would start speaking again. I ask that you'd open ears again. But, Lord, you don't force us. We say we want to listen, God. God, I just say today, Lord, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it looks like, God. But I say yes. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it looks like, God. Use my life however you see fit. I don't care what it looks like. God, I just... I just ask you to break off every preconceived idea, Lord, every stronghold that we've had has held us bondage. God, I ask you right now, Lord, I ask you to highlight places in our minds that we imagined, not you. I ask you to highlight dreams and goals that we came up with, that popular culture came up with, not you. 
God, if it means laying it all down, let it be. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us, God. Let's just sing this out, every voice.